You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. I'm Jake Dungan, Editor-in-Chief for Indians Baseball Insider, and for those of you who are fans of the Farm Report Podcast, we want to say Happy New Year, because this is our first episode of 2018, and we are ready for another great season, our third season of Talking Indians Prospects, and back joining me as always is my co-host here at the Farm Report, uh, Corey Christen. Corey, how you doing, and uh, good to be back with you. Most wonderful time of the year, right, Jake? And I think we're in season three, and I think every time we started a new season, you had a different role within the site. So I know. When, when about season five rolls around, you're just going to own the entire network. I'll be president of the United so, States by then. Well, yeah. So <laughs> politics have changed since uh, older times, if you will. But, no, it is – I cannot – explain how much I was looking forward to recording this episode. When I got the email uh, from you saying, hey, we're getting ready, it's time, I I was like, let's go. Like, I wanted to do it right then and there, but um, I can't explain how thrilled I am to be back for another season talking prospects and talking tribe baseball and uh, looking forward to another great year, Jake. And we got to welcome in our our other co-host as well. Yeah, we got our uh, special guest today to discuss the uh, top prospect list, which we'll be previewing throughout the show. That will be starting the top 50 IBI prospect countdown for 2018. That will be kicking off next Monday following the Super Bowl. So joining us tonight to discuss that is uh, IBI contributor Justin Lada. Justin, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I am looking forward to this podcast more. We've done a couple, you and I, on Smoke Signals, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this one the most, especially with Corey. Appreciate yeah, that, Justin. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, well, we're going to discuss this list. We're not going to get into the specific rankings. We're just going to leave that uh, up for uh, the imagination. And when we get these uh, rankings out there, we'll be starting counting down from 50 and working our way down to number one. Obviously, the top one, two, three, uh, however many prospects are probably no, no surprise. But we'll, we'll keep it uh, we'll keep it in a, a little bit of mystery for now, just to uh, – just to keep you interested, but for now, let's go ahead and talk about the Indians farm system, the state of the Indians farm system in general. Kind of appropriate since the uh, State of the Union is going on tonight as we record this. So the state of the Indians uh, farm system heading into 2018. Corey, just your general thoughts. What do you see uh, when you look at this Indians farm system uh, just overall at first glance? Well, at first glance, I see it, that it's as ranging as it's been perhaps in the last four or five years. And when I say that, I mean we've always had depth and prospects and guys that can fill in at different positions and specialists, you know, like a Tristan McKenzie or Francisco Mejia that are just really darn good at what they do at their position. Now I'm seeing guys, you know, I'm looking at our list here 
not to spoil any numbers, but I'm seeing about six or seven guys who come to mind, maybe eight or nine, that we know what they're about. We know they can play this position, and there's no real gray area as to do they need to be moved? Should we consider a position change? It's all pretty solid, uh, at least one through 20. And then from there, you have a little bit of gray area to work with. So I think that what we're going to see this season, I think the state of the Indians farm system is going to lean, obviously, on Mejia and McKenzie um, as the consensus top prospects in the organization. But what about from there? We saw some prospects come along late last season. Um, in Mahoning Valley, Will Benson came on real late, and he started to show some flashes. Connor Capel put together a good, solid first full season. Um, obviously, Quentin Holmes going to start in the Arizona League. We're going to get to see him in affiliated ball. So you have a lot of youth as well, and I think that's one thing that gets lost a lot is that these prospects that we talk about a lot, Mejia, McKenzie, um, Greg Allen, they're on the cusp of – Triple A major leagues are 40 man. They're they're almost there, but the guys that are in the lower levels, um, you really don't hear about as much. So, given the light to these guys in the lower systems, you really have solid players where you know they're going to factor at a certain position. Will Benson will be a good right fielder, and I think that's where he belongs. Connor Cable could play left field. I think that's where he belongs. Quinton Holmes in center field, that's where he belongs. And I think it's very apparent now, more so than it has been in the past few years that we've been doing this, Jake, you know, like a Yandy Diaz. Well, he could move out here. He could go play here. Even Francisco Mejia a bit late on uh, with, with the third base move. So that's what I like is that there's players that are going to stick to a position this year and especially the younger guys. Now they get a full season at a certain position, and, and they'll get to settle into the system. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree on all counts. Uh, Justin and I, I think we discussed this a little bit in Smoke Signals, or maybe it was off the air uh, one night after we recorded a show, but I look at this prospect ranking list we have put together, and this is feels a lot like the year after Francisco Lindor officially graduated to the big leagues because we have a new sort of changing of the guard of sorts with the top prospects because, you know, forever it was Francisco Lindor in the number one spot and then everybody else followed behind. Then after that, it was Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. And, of course, Clint Frazier gets traded. Now Bradley Zimmer's graduated to the major leagues. So now we've got... Uh, Spoiler alert, Francisco Mejia in the top spot heading into this season. So another changing of the guard with uh, the top prospect spot. And with Bradley Zimmer graduating to the big leagues, where do you think this leaves the uh, Indians farm system and the top prospects that they have? It's a little top-heavy. I mean, yeah, I mean, the graduations always hurt, and they were a lot lower after they traded, uh, you know, Frazier and all those guys, especially with the development of Justice Sheffield. He's getting a lot of... Helium right now among the prospect circles because he had a tremendous AFL, so good for Sheffield. But, yeah, it's top-heavy. I mean, I think the the top four, like without revealing it, the top four have, you know, huge ceilings, obviously. Um, and I agree with Corey. I think the top 20 is, is really sort of clear-cut. I mean, there's some things you can change and move out depending on opinions, but... It's, it's a little top-heavy. I mean, I, I like the balance in the system. Obviously, it could use some more high-end talent. Um, I think most other places, not to, like, you know, get into comparing who does what, but um, 
you know, I, just, I saw Keith Law had the Indians about 16th on his uh, organizational rankings, which that, that feels about right because, you know, he and McKenzie both have huge ceilings. Nolan Jones has a huge ceiling. Will Benson has a huge ceiling. Um, you know, other guys like that, those guys are could be future superstars, hopefully. Um, but then you have other guys. You have the Shane Beavers, the Greg Allens, um, Julian Merriweather, and Saval. Um, those are guys that probably have safer floors. You know, they're not they're not going to be superstars. They're not going to be stars. They're going to be guys that are your your twenty third or your twenty fourth man on your roster, but they're going to play an important role, and they're probably going to make the major leagues and they're going to make some sort of impact, which is important because you know any time you draft a player, if you get into the big leagues and he gives you any contribution, that's huge because think of the money. You know, you don't have to go out, out of the organization and find someone. So I think there's more guys in this organization right now that are safer prospects at the ceiling, and it kind of lacks more high-end talent. Like, uh, the, the whole system is really buoyed by, by those two guys at the top, Mejia and McKenzie. So if you trade either one of them, you really decimate the system even more. That's what we're talking about with the, the Brewers trading for Christian Yelich. I mean, they don't have – the Indians just don't have the depth of high-quality prospects to make, make a huge move without hurting the system. But, I mean, overall, I like it because they're going to find contributors – you know, with, with Quentin Holmes maybe someday, but like Connor Capel and all those guys, they're going to find guys that are going to contribute to the big league level. Um, it just remains to be seen how big the impacts are going to be outside of, you know, Mejia, McKenzie, Bradley, and, and Nolan Jones and Will Benson. All right, I want to get into more specifics in a second here, but I want to throw this question out to either of you guys since I think what we're talking about now is sort of relevant to uh, to, to it. So, uh, Corey, I'll ask you first. Uh, you know, Justin mentioned how the two guys that are the main focus in the farm system right now are Mejia and McKenzie, and with uh, the MLB Pipeline Top 100 Prospect Rankings coming out this week, they only ranked Mejia and McKenzie in the Top 100. You could have made a case probably for Bobby Bradley being included in there, too. He's probably in one of those uh, first guys cut out of that list. But I want to ask you guys if you think that just because only Mejia and McKenzie are ranked, does that mean that the Indians don't have – Anybody else in the farm system who could eventually develop into that top uh, 100 prospect type of talent? Or do you think that there are some sleeper guys who have yet to kind of reach that potential? Uh, Corey, I'll ask you first. Well, as far as top 100 prospect potential, um, aside from Mejia and McKenzie, Bradley certainly, certainly because of his power, and I feel like he made more efforts to – just make contact last season instead of trying to take the ball 600 feet. I think Nolan Jones, if you give him another year, will sneak into that list. And I think it's um, his athletic ability is unquestionable. But what's questionable right now is the habits he has over at third base. Um, he's not exactly the cleanest fielder over there yet. So give him another year to adjust um to professional baseball, first of all. And second of all, now he's going to have a full season up at Lake County. So I didn't anticipate Nolan Jones getting in there. Shane Bieber's a maybe as well. Um, he has some great command and some great strikeout stuff. So I think those would be the three. Um, as far as developing into big league players, though, I mean, you could go down this list about, you know, eight, nine, or ten deep. Um, one player that sticks out to me, uh, is Willie Castro and his ability to run and play defense. Um, if he could put a little more muscle on, I think he could be a solid uh, – I think he would be, be a solid pro one day. Um, there's there's a few guys on this list, but as far as the top 100 prospects, 
uh, Bradley Jones and, and maybe Bieber would be my three. All right, Justin, what do you think? Do you think there's somebody who's lying in the weeds who nobody's really kind of picked up on, at least on the national level? Well, I know Nolan Jones made Keith Law's top 100. I think he came in somewhere in the 80s. So Keith Law knows about him, and obviously he's, uh, you know, kind of a big name in the prospect community. But, I mean, we know about him. Um, so I think for sure he's going to get some more helium if he has a really good year uh, at Lake County because obviously he's got the plate discipline. You know, the old adage is who cares what he does in the field. If he hits, they'll find a, you know, a spot for him in the lineup. It may not be at third base and maybe first base, but that's fine because he's going to be a good hitter. Um as far as top 100, I don't know. Beyond Bradley, and Bradley for sure, uh, I think people need to take notice that he, you know, shed some weight and he he regained a little bit of athleticism at first base. So he kind of committed himself to getting in better shape, which is only going to help him. Um, outside of top 100, I don't I don't think so. Not really. I think I mean there's some guys that you could argue for. I think Willie Castro has been pretty popular in, in trade talks in the past. Um, there was a lot of speculation that the Indians might have traded him this past summer in a deal. They ended up not, obviously, but I know there was some talk about him being an ask in certain trades. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets on a top 100 this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Shane Bieber does as well. I mean, I don't repeat everything Corey says, but he's 100% right. I mean, I think Will Benson has a lot of work to do with his swing and cutting down the strikeouts before he gets that kind of notice. Um, I know his swing's been been kind of all over the place, what everyone said. Um as far as solid pros, I mean, like I said before, there's a lot of guys in this list that I think are going to make the major leagues. It's just I'm not sure they're going to be top prospects and they're going to be, you know, big-name um, contributors or as far as prospects are concerned. But, I mean, you're going to see Julian Merriweather probably this year at some point. Uh, you might see Eric Haas. Um, Aaron Sabal, I still think, can be a really nice bullpen arm at some point. I mean, I know people want him to start, but I think he can make a huge impact in the bullpen. Uh, as soon as this year, actually. All right, so let's get into some of these specific specifics here. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys uh, what you thought the overall uh, strength of the – well, we already kind of talked about this, but, I mean, what do you think the, the positions and areas uh, of the farm system are the biggest strengths and the biggest weaknesses? We'll start with the biggest strengths. Uh, Justin, I'll throw it to you this time. When you looked at our uh, – prospect ranking list, what position or area kind of jumps out to you as a uh, as being a strength uh, for the Indians? I would probably say without question it's the middle infield because you have Castro and Chang on the 40-man roster already. Um, then you've got other guys like Krieger um, and Matthias who are highly thought of, even though they had rough years, they're highly thought of. Um, they just signed Aaron Bracho. I know a lot of people are excited by him. Eric Gonzalez still is, has prospect status because of uh, the playing time, and obviously he can contribute in a lot of ways. Uh, looking further down the list, I think people like um, Luke Wakamatsu being able to play state shortstop, and he really improved in the second half, uh, hit the ball, and even though he's a little bit older, Sam Haggerty uh, led, led the uh, organization stolen bases last year. I think there's still some un- untapped potential there. The other thing would have to be pitching, not necessarily, like I said before, not necessarily high-end pitching, but when you combine Merriweather, Beaver, Savali, um, Ryan Merritt's still on this list, Sean Mormondo and Adam Plutko are still on this list, Matt Esparza kind of flies under the radar. Um, you've got a lot of, you know, 
probably not super high ceiling guys as far as pitching, but you got a lot of guys who might be able to fill, you know, a third or fourth or fifth spot in your rotation. And that's huge when you got guys in minor leagues that can do that, that can just come up and, you know, be your fourth or fifth starter any given year because they have that talent, even if they're not ace type pitchers. Um, I think this organization's got a lot of them, and I think that's a good thing. I agree. Uh, uh, Corey, what uh, jumped out to you? Well, just uh, Justin hit my points that I was going to make uh, most of them. Starting pitching in middle infield, I think, are the two that jump out at me. Um, just the amount of depth that the Indians have built in middle infield. And another position I wanted to bring up was the outfield. Uh, I look at guys like Greg Allen. I look at uh, a Will Benson, even a George Valera, who a lot of people are high on. Um, there's kind of two schools of thought on George Valera. They're either hot or they're not on him. Uh, Connor Capel put together a nice year in Lake County last year. Um, Quentin Holmes, what can he do in Mahoney Valley in his first pro season? Andrew Kalika, who kind of broke out in Mahoney Valley and started to flatten out a bit last year in Lynchburg, uh, you know, missing or, or rather foregoing the uh, the low A level, the full season low A. So I think there's quite a handful of outfielders, even Mitch Longo looking a little bit down the list as well. Mitch Longo had a great season towards the end last year, so I, I think those are uh, that's a good group to even think about. And, I, and there's even there's names I haven't even begun to mention yet um, that that those are listening might have might be thinking of, or even you two might be thinking of. I think the outfield, and it's not just one position. It's not well, the Indians have four uh, four center fielders in their system that are potential bona fide center fielders. They have a good variety of talent out in the outfield. Um, that they could develop either way and how they choose. So, uh, yeah, the starting pitching in the middle infield really jump out at first. But that outfield depth, I think, is getting pretty sneaky. Yeah, I, I was just about to say the same thing, Corey. Uh, I'm, I was going to mention the outfield because you look at Greg Allen, the big names like Greg Allen, Will Benson, uh, and Quentin Holmes, and Connor Capel. You know, those are the, the top names. And then you have someone like George Valera who – People might not know his name now, but if these uh, if these evaluators are right about him, then we'll soon know his name uh, uh, as soon as this season. And uh, but then, yeah, moving down the list, somebody like Kalika, somebody like Mitch Longo, someone like Kaya Tom, there and or Todd Isaacs, there there are a lot of uh, outfielders that have intriguing talent in this in this uh, farm system. Oscar Gonzalez too is another name I think of. Now, there's a lot more high-risk type of guys uh, in the outfield for the Indians as far as prospects are concerned, but it's more like the – I think that the high-risk, the high high-reward guys, most of them are the are the outfielders and the outfield prospects for the Tribe. So we'll see who works out and who doesn't, but uh, I, I definitely like the upside of this outfield uh, crop, so – We'll see how they uh, develop this year. But uh, flipping the script a little bit, uh, what do you guys see as an area of weakness? Uh, Corey, I'll go to you. I, I think the weakness right now is bullpen depth. Um, and, and some of these starters might transition, as uh, Justin mentioned. Uh, he mentioned Savali potentially being a reliever one day. Um, I, I'm looking at the relieving core. And two guys that jumped out to me were, were Zach Plezak and Eli Morgan, who had really solid seasons last year down in Mahoning Valley, and, and Plezak got to Lake County, got the promotion later in the season. 
But other than those two, I really don't see much depth in that bullpen. Um, maybe some of these starters like Mormondo and Plutko and even Ryan Merritt want to, want to develop into longer relievers. Um, but I'm not seeing one specific guy that I'm saying, okay, he's got back end of the bullpen potential one day. I'm not seeing – I saw flashes last season from certain guys, but nothing really consistent from that department. So if you're going to build around – a crop like a Plezak and an Eli Morgan, they're still very young. So especially up in double A and triple A in Columbus, guys going uh, approaching 40 man status, you know, you got to have some guys ready to take over in, in later in the games. You know, we saw this off season, you know, Brian Shaw leaving, who's going to replace Brian Shaw. Well, if you had a guy in double A AA or triple A that was almost ready, that wouldn't be a, a hard question to answer. And I know developing specialists, in the minor leagues might be a little too much to ask if, if I could put it that way. But um, there's certain guys that can make a, a, a contribution as a reliever and not having to start certain amount of games before going to the bullpen. It might be the opposite for them. So if I were, if I were the Indians organization, I would look at that position. I would look at some middle relievers and some back end guys and see, you know, who do we really have? Um, I don't think it's that strong of a crop, although there are a couple guys. You know, I mentioned Plezak, and, and I think Morgan are the two strong spots in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the bullpen, because I do want to get to that <clears throat> a little later in the show, because I have some thoughts about that. But um, as far as what the Indians lost at the big league level, you know, you lost Brian Shaw, you lost Joe Smith, you lost Sean Armstrong, those guys. But... And that, that, those losses are tough, but then you think that about the losses they had in the uh, minor leagues uh, prospects this year. I mean, Kyle Crockett is gone. Uh, Sean Brady uh, – no, not Sean Brady. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Brock Hartson. Yeah, well, Brock Hartson had uh, retired. Uh, who's the yeah. other hard-throwing guy I'm, I'm thinking of from, a- from Akron this year? Oh, um, um, Milbrath that went to Pittsburgh. Yeah, Jordan Milbrath left in the Rule 5 draft, and then there was one more guy I'm thinking of, uh, a guy who was always injured. It was a minor league Rule 5 pick that, that got taken, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I forget, I forget I, you're talking about, yeah. We'll come up, don't worry, people, we'll come up with his name about five <laughs> minutes after we get off the air here, so... Uh, <laughs> So uh, those of you who are screaming into your phones and uh, and uh, computers or what right now, to, uh, hey, we're not perfect, all right? But uh, anyway, but my point being that the Indians had some losses in the minor leagues too. Like uh, Jordan Milbrath, I think, losing him in the Rule 5 draft, that, that really stings a lot more than I think people realize because he was, you know, he was erratic at times with his command, but he was probably the most electric arm of anybody in the farm system, uh, gunning in there, triple digits, and the move to the bullpen has really really served him well, and he was really starting to figure things out, and uh, apparently he was, uh, he uh, caught some attention uh, from other organizations, and uh, eventually the Orioles, no, the Pirates uh, came in and uh, uh, came in and took him in the uh, minor league portion of the draft, Rule 5 draft, so that means that uh, he is uh, gone forever until the, unless he's like uh, DFA and the Indians try to get him back through waivers somehow, but, uh, so I think losing Milbrath hurts as, 
probably not, not as much as Shaw and Smith since those guys are proven talents, but uh, it definitely hurts the depth of the uh, relief pitching in the upper levels of the farm system for the Tribe. So I agree with your point there, Corey. Uh, Justin, uh, what say you? Yeah, I mean, the bullpen's definitely definitely a concern with guys, but I mean, there's I, I think with the bullpen thing is, you know, you can convert guys, like like I keep saying, I know I'm going to keep bringing it up, but Aaron Savali would look good in the bullpen. Um, there's guys you can move that are starters now because the starting depth is good right now. You can put guys in the bullpen to see what happens. I mean, it'd be nice to see guys like, um, you know, a Mitch Brown or uh, a Kieran Lovegrove or, you know, one of the one of those guys to, to put it together, flash some command, and actually take off in the bullpen because they just don't have guys at the upper levels that are, are ready to contribute to a big league bullpen. I mean, Cam Hill is, is a nice pitcher, and, and Josh Martin was a Rule 5 pick at one time, so obviously the Padres thought he was close to being a big league contributor, but yeah, they just don't have any way of impact arms that are, you know, no Cody Allens. Uh, that's That's been their biggest problem is not being able to develop that stuff beyond that. Um, I liked Albert Seary last year a lot, and I liked Ryder Ryan before they traded him, but those guys are years away. Uh, the other other really issue is the corners. I mean, you have Nolan Jones at third base, um, and I guess you can, in theory, stick anyone at first base, I, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, Noli Rodriguez had a really bad year in Columbus last year. I think they're going to give him another shot to start the year in first at first base there. I think they're going to keep – I think they might keep Bradley and Akron just to see if, if Nelly can rebound. Maybe he can. Um but, I mean, beyond, beyond those two guys at first base, they really don't have much. I mean, uh, Emmanuel Tapia hit a lot of home runs at Lake County last year, but he was pretty immobile at first base, and he struck out. If he didn't home run, he was striking out. Um, so besides Nolan Jones at third base, we don't know that he's going to stay there. Um, you know, other than maybe Gavin Collins, there's just nobody at third base I'm looking at right now. I mean, unless Yu Chang Chang moves there. Um, so behind behind the upper upper level upper name guys at, at the corners, you know they're really lacking impact bats at those at those positions. And if, especially if Jones moves off the third base, um, it's even looking more bare. So it's a good thing Jose Ramirez isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, interesting points there. I hadn't really thought about the corner infield spot, especially because maybe it's just because, like you said, Jose Ramirez at at. Uh, third base and well now that Carlos Santana is, is gone from first base it opens things up a little bit and uh, you know you got Yonder Alonso potentially there for the next couple of years but then after that is, it, is the future going to be Bobby Bradley and then beyond him who knows after that so yeah interesting point to bring up there I'm going to go with uh, the catching position because I think that beyond uh, Francisco Mejia and Eric Haas there is almost nothing in the farm system that is sustainable, sustainable, I I should rephrase that, I should say uh, uh, guys who have high upside talent who are capable of sticking behind the plate, and I think of somebody like like a Signarf Loopstock or or Lee Jen Chu, guys who uh, are traditionally catchers, but, you know, they've been moved off the position uh, a lot more of late, and who knows if they're going to be able to stick there. So, you know, the Indians seem pretty well set for at least the next couple of years at the catcher spot with uh, Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez. And then you got Mejia and Haas behind them. But, yeah, I think that uh, they need to start looking at trying to see how they can 
uh, find and develop some more catchers because, uh, you know, should the day come that Gomes and Perez are no longer in Cleveland and if Mejia should move off the catching position and move to third base or another position and then you're down to Eric Haas, then, then where are you uh, uh, behind the plate? So, uh, and I know that the Indians, with their pitching staff, they pride themselves on uh, catching defense. So that, 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 this is something that's going to be interesting over the next couple of years, over the next few drafts, to see if they can uh, find and develop some catchers. So if I were to pick the weakest position, I would uh, go with the uh, backstop. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about, uh, by the way, the, the guy's name I was, we were try, all trying to think of, Dylan Baker. That's who that's who. There it is. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. Not a Rule 5 pick, but he was claimed off waivers, yeah. Yeah, so another live arm, but a guy who just uh, could not stay on the field. But uh, still, you know, that's uh, depth that you probably would rather have than not. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how they are able to shake this out. Maybe see if uh, Cam Hill and uh, whoever the – some of these other guys in the upper levels of the farm system can step up. But uh, – um, Speaking of individual players, let's talk a little bit about who are the – without revealing, again, without revealing too much of the list, uh, the fastest rising stars and the guys who are in free fall mode as compared to years past uh, with their prospect rankings. Uh, Justin, uh, in general terms, who would you say are the fastest rising stars on this prospect list? Um, Are we talking about guys that that already – Kind of made a significant rise, or we think can make a rise this year. Um, I, I would say guys who are making a significant rise based on the based on rankings compared to, uh, to how they were in the, ranked in the past. Well, I think number one for me stands out because you know we had some some debates about this where he should be placed. Eric Haas is obviously going to be, I think, an easy answer here because um, you know he kind of joined the the launch angle revolution. Um, he makes no no issue about talking about that, which is really nice to hear from a player. Um, so, you know, the fact that he's really able to tap into his power makes him able to move up, uh, and he's already a good defender. He loves catching. Is probably fits the mold the best as far as working with pitchers. You know, he considers himself a catcher first. Uh, on the other side of the ball, I would say probably Julian Merriweather. I think, I mean, Bieber obviously took off and skyrocketed this year. Um, so he's kind of an obvious, obvious answer, but the season Julian Merriweather put together last year um, was really impressive, and if he had not had that back injury in Columbus, um, you know who knows where he what, he what his numbers would have looked like there because he was still striking a lot of guys out when he got to Columbus. So um, I think he's kind of an under radar under the radar guy that really rose quickly after putting together a really impressive season last year. Corey, you know as far as a rising guy, I feel like he's not as much rising as he is. Um, somewhat ignored. Mitch Longo has put together two really solid seasons, and I know he's suffered some injury, but in 98 minor league games, he's hitting 349. I don't think you do that on accident. I think that's something that shouldn't be overlooked too much. Um, he doesn't exactly strike out too, too much either. Uh, 54 Ks compared to 35 walks in his career. I think his biggest problem has been health. So, um, if he can stay healthy, you never know what he can turn into. He, he plays some solid defense as well. Um, and, and he, and he really, yeah, and he runs. And you talk about launch angle with Eric Haas. He started to figure it out as well. So 
I think Mitch Longo is a guy that we need to start paying a little more attention to. Um, as far as a faller, you know, I don't want to consider anybody that's a prospect, a guy that's, you know, no one's done, you know, by the time they're 22, 23 years old. Um, but you got to look for some positives, at least when you start talking about this kind of thing. What happened to Brady Aiken? Uh, last season was just a disaster for him, and I'm not even going to go into specifics on that, but we thought this guy, and I know he came off a serious Tommy John, and, you know, the hype that he had, maybe it's because he's not living up to that proposed hype, um, being a former first overall pick and then go, going into a redraft to being drafted first round again. Um, you know, a lot of people have him outside the top 30, and that would just be going off a pipeline. So, look, I know what Brady Aiken was, but what is he now? Can he be that formidable pitching prospect that we can see work his way up one day? Or is he going to struggle again this year? Um, you know, that's a guy that you got to pay attention to in regards to potential bounce-back candidates. Um, but right now, he's on some sort of decline and. and you know, we talk about light at the end of the tunnel. I don't really see one right now unless he goes out and proves it. Uh, I'll throw it back to you, Justin, and let you give uh, uh, kind of a guy you think is in free fall right now uh, since Corey already gave his. Uh, as far as free fall, I mean, yeah, I, I hate to really pile on to Brady Aiken here because, you know, it's kind of unfair to him. I think he went through a lot of things last year. I will say this about Aiken is one of the things I read and picked up on, I'm not sure where I, I heard it first, but – um, if you guys remember back to Cody Anderson, um, you know, before he got hurt, he spent a lot of time in Arizona one off season and totally re- reshaped his body. Not to use the cliche, uh, you know, best shape of his life thing, but I remember Cody Anderson in Akron was like six four, two forty, and then the next year he came back to Akron, he was six four and was like two hundred and just looked like a flexible athlete, like he was a totally different person. Um, I know I've seen some things about you know. The Indians asking Brady Aiken to do similar things, work, you know, with uh, on some flexibility. He just couldn't repeat his delivery last year, so I think there's still some things that they can do to help him iron things out, even if he um, is never able to reach number one pick potential. Which you know that's always a risk because what now that Chipper Jones is in, there's two number one picks all time in the Hall of Fame, and number one picks just don't always pan out as the best player in the draft. So that's baseball. Um, not, not to keep with Aiken, but I think, uh, you know, Mark Mathias and Tyler Krieger both had pretty difficult years in Akron. I know Mathias got hurt, and Krieger, I think, just wore out because he played in the World Baseball Classic. But those are two guys the Indians drafted pretty highly, and they can really use some good seasons from them. I know we said they're stacked at the middle infield at the upper levels, um, but those are two guys the Indians really could use to rebound this year. So I think those two guys fell a little bit this year for – either injury or just, uh, you know, hitting kind of a wall in Akron. Yeah, I agree with you on Mark Mathias because I got to watch a, a lot of him toward the end of the last year in Akron. Um, I don't want to pile on too much on the guy because I know he got hurt, and that's it's, it's unfair to uh, get on guys who uh, suffered injuries and had their uh, seasons cut short. But Mathias just didn't show much of anything that uh, – any of the hype that a lot of people had with him uh, coming out of the draft, you know, he had a solid campaign for Mahoning Valley a couple years back, and a lot of people were high on him back then, and uh, I, I just didn't see 
much of anything there. Hopefully he's able to get healthy and, and adjust his double-A level and show what he's capable of, but I didn't see anything there. My guy I'm going to look at, though, for a guy who has fallen, uh, just to get that just to get that out of the way, is, uh, yeah, you got, obviously, Brady Aiken, you got uh, Mark Mathias. I'm going to look at Mike Pappy, and I know he, it's hard to say he's fallen because he's never really gotten up that high, although he was a, being a former first-round pick, he started out pretty high on the uh, on the rankings list, and just based on his potential. But you know, he came out of the draft, came out of Virginia, being hyped as a guy who had an advanced approach. He had a good eye at the plate, and well, let's just say a couple years later, that's about all he can do is uh, see the ball well and draw some walks and get on base a little bit, because you know he's put put up uh, basically mediocre at best numbers across the board. He doesn't hit for a ton of power. He can't hit for a, a high average. You know, he doesn't have a lot of extra base uh, skills. He doesn't have speed. He can't really play defense. I, there's just not a lot to that package there other than the fact that he sees the ball well. Now, you know, maybe with his size he can tap into some more power and become more of a run producer at some point. But at this point I don't see much of anything there with him, especially after seeing him, uh, I think multiple years now he's been in Akron, I've watched him play, and he did actually put together his best season of his career, uh, his minor league career at this point, last year, he batted like, overall between Akron and Columbus, like 260-something, uh, with double-digit homers, and, uh, you know, he was still getting on base at a a decent clip, but, you know, I'm going to see, I'm going to need to see a lot more from him to be, consider him, like a, uh, a top uh, 10, top 20, however high he was ranked type of prospect. And uh, guys who I think are on the rise, uh, Eric Haas, I totally agree with. I think that he's a uh, catcher. Uh, Justin and I were talking about this a lot, about whether or not how high, exactly how high we should rank Haas, and uh, we kind of talked ourselves into not ranking him too high. But uh, I do say... Regardless of where he's ranked in this list, he's somebody that everybody should keep an eye on, and I'm interested to see how his uh, his launch angle adjustments carry over into this season. Other guys, I think, on the rise, uh, you know, Shane Bieber, obviously. Aaron Savali is a guy who I think has flown under the radar for the most part, really put together a good year last year. And, uh, I, I don't know, looking up and down the list, uh, Mitch Longo is another. Gavin Collins, I think, is really uh, flying under the radar as well as somebody who people should keep an eye on and uh another guy i'm gonna point to is uh eli morgan Uh, i know he was just drafted last year but i think he's somebody based on his strikeout rate and how well he's performed both in college and now into his pro career how dominant he's been he's somebody who could uh, be on people's minds either as a starter but more likely as a reliever moving forward so uh, uh that that's pretty much who i have and uh as rising stars and guys who are in free fall mode, so we'll see if uh, uh, the guys in free fall can prove us wrong and if the rising stars can continue on their trajectory. So, uh, hey Jake, before we move on, can we sure. can we bring up a quick conversation about Rob Kaminsky because I wanted to mention him too. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Because I, I I mean, spoiler alert, I don't think he's on our, our top fifty. Um, last time I looked, I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, so we'll have a chance, maybe not have a chance to talk about him, but. Uh, I know the Indians don't have a ton invested in him because they traded a season and a half of Brandon Moss, you know, big deal. But 
Rob Kaminsky is like not going to pitch this year. He didn't pitch last year. I don't know if he's going to pitch this year. I mean, the Indians have been pretty super vague about what's going on with him. I know he's been trying to avoid surgery, but that's a guy that's just totally fallen off the map. Yeah, he he definitely has, and uh, we've been pressing the uh, the Indians, the Rubber Ducks, everybody who had, had access to information on. Uh, how uh, Kaminsky's rehab was going last year. Yeah, and you're basically right. He missed basically all of last year, and the the vague word was he it was some kind of arm injury that he's trying to work through. And you know we were speculating: does he is he going to need Tommy John surgery at some point? Uh, is he going to try to push through it and rehab? And uh, again, we don't know anything officially about what's going on. But if my point was, if he needs Tommy John surgery, then you're essentially going to lose two years of development with him. Uh, because he's going to have to use one year for recovery. And then, of course, last year uh, he spent trying to rehab through this. So he's still young, and, you know, he still has the the upside, the former first-round pick for the Cardinals, former top prospect. And uh, uh, we'll see if he's able to come back from it. He, of course, he's a lefty, too, so that kind of helps boost the pitcher's case a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Kaminsky right now is somebody who just fallen off the face of the earth, and we – we don't know. I, I'll go ahead and give it away. He is not on our top 50 prospect rankings for this year, and that's basically because we don't know what's going on with him right now. And until we do, I don't see how we can put him on any kind of rankings list right now. So, uh, yeah. Corey, you have any thoughts on Kaminsky? Yeah, when he's on the field, he's very good. And that makes this whole situation puzzling because if he's this – top-tier guy that we believe he has the potential to be. I mean, this is a former first-round pick from the Cardinals, and we know the Cardinals system. They are very good at finding these kind of guys. Um, he His worst season, really, was 2015 when he went 6-6, six and six, but he had a 224 ERA and 19 starts. Not bad. Um, 2016 was a good season, and like you said, last season, um, one start and then goodbye. So off to rehab for him, and and last year was kind of a wash. But when this guy's on the field and consistently as well, I mean, 2014, eight and two with a 188 ERA, 2016, 11 and seven with a 328 ERA and 25 starts. He had that durability trait attached to him for a while, and then you know this this injury must be some sort of serious. If the Indians are first of all, like you said, keeping it quiet. And second of all, if he just hasn't been able to pitch in an entire calendar year, perhaps two or three. So the the good news about this, if there's any to take from it, is that he's only 23 years old. So even if he was to get something done and miss time, you know, he'd come back, you know, right around his age 24, 25 season. So there's still time on him. I'm not ready to write him off by any means. But, yeah, with the with the question marks surrounding him, it's hard to say – anything positive about what's going on, at least with him right now. And on top of that, you know, if he's got this arm injury, we also should mention he's also had the chronic back issues that have been a problem too. So uh, you, you put that on top of arm injuries and potential arm injuries right now, then it's it, it's just not a pretty picture right now. So we're just going to have to wait and see with him and wait and get the word, the official word of what's going on, which hopefully we'll get some time in spring training or at least when the minor league season starts and we – get uh, an idea of where his assignment's going to be. So, uh, yeah, this this is something that we're just going to have to uh, wait out and uh, see what how things go. But uh, 
Let's go ahead, though, and move on to uh, something uh, we want to talk about, our five most anticipated prospect storylines. And before the show, we each took the time to come up with five prospects or five uh, prospect storylines that we were looking forward to watching in 2018, and I want to get to those in a second here. So, Justin, I'll throw it over to you, first of all. Uh, The five most anticipated storylines for the Indians farm system in 2018 for you are what? Um, I think the first one for me is is seeing how Tristan McKenzie uh, hits double-A. You know, I think, so to speak, that double-A, especially the Eastern League, uh, is a proving ground for prospects. He's going to be 20 years old this year and uh, for most of the season. And double-A is usually the, the way that, prospects are separated from the non-prospects so this is a huge year for his development i'm excited to see him back in ohio you know so we can all see him pitch on a regular basis i mean he's obviously one of our our favorite prospects uh this year uh or in the system and you know if he has a good year in in, in akron this year then you know there's a good chance he's going to really you know shoot himself in maybe top five in baseball I and mean, he behind four is whitley he might be the second best pitching prospect in baseball if, if he has a great year this year uh, you want me to go ahead and just give you two through five, or are we? Are yeah, we go ahead. And we'll, the okay. I'll go ahead, and we'll uh, go around the horn and discuss them, uh, and then before we go on to the next uh, person. Okay. Uh, I want to see what Francisco Mejia does in AAA. Uh, he already had the taste of the big leagues. He came in and got a chance to get some at bats during that 22 game winning streak. So, going back to AAA for him might be, you know, we've seen guys not necessarily stall, but. You know, sort of get bored at AAA because, you know, there's a lot of guys that repeat that level and you could kind of, you know, get bored playing guys that are 35 years old just hang on the AAA job. So I'm curious to see what his motivation looks like, especially when he's behind two catchers and it doesn't look like there's a lot of playing time for him this year. And if he's already reached the big leagues, he might not be, not saying he won't be motivated, but, you know, it's always something to think about. Um Number three, obviously, the Brady Aiken thing, it's kind of hard to get away from. Um, you know, he was number one overall, or number one overall pick, didn't sign, and then he was Ian's first-round pick. Um, so we got to see this year if this is the year that he uh, finally turns it around, not finally turns it around, but if he can get things going back in the right direction. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to group number uh, four and five together here. Uh, Nolan Jones and Will Benson, I'm probably taking the easiest storylines here, low-hanging fruit, sorry guys, but uh, those two guys are probably going to start the year at Lake County, and they're obviously, you know, two of the top 10, 15, depending on how you feel about things, prospects in the organization. Um, and it's a big year for them because this is going to be their first full season. There's a lot of questions for them to answer, whether defensively or, uh, you know, offensively. And the full season is a grind. For guys who play high school ball, playing 140 games in the minor league season uh, can be a real grind. Guys wear down. They're not used to playing that day. They're not used to traveling. They're not used to seeing pitchers like that, especially when those two kids are high school kids. So seeing what those two kids do the first time uh, in a full-season league is going to be really interesting to watch, and I can't wait to see them both play. Corey, anything uh, you want to comment on uh, from Justin's list there? Uh, the only thing different that I had really was uh, the Nolan Jones and Bull Benson dynamic. Um, now they get to get this full season under their belts. And I think Nolan really skyrocketed last year and will kind of took his time and then started to figure it out late. So getting Nolan Jones from playing 62 games to a hundred plus games and same with Bill Benson, you know, that's a jump. 
and um, these two kids are still young. They're both out of high school, and uh, they're still teenagers. So it's not like if, if Nolan Jones and Will Benson have, quote-unquote, down years in Lake County that it's all of a sudden panic time. You know, these two need time to, to, to get it together and to marinate down at the lower levels. Um, the, the other storylines that I'm looking at right now, there's two intriguing outfielders that are going to play in Mahoning Valley this season, and that's Quinton Holmes and George Valera. I mentioned Valera earlier, and people seem to be split on him as either a top five international prospect or not, you know, outside the top 20. There seems to be two schools of thought as to what Valera could do, and a lot of prospect lists have him in the top 10 or near it. Um, so, and I'm not saying he's a bad baseball player by any means, you know, six, six foot, 170, maybe adds a little muscle and he could become that, um, 15, 20 homer guy. But right now, given that I've seen zero of him and, and know not much about him, it's hard to say that he's a top 10 prospect based on, you know, word of mouth and people see him play in some scouting reports. Uh, Quentin Holmes, um, you know, he's got great speed. That's kind of the thing for him. He, he can run, but he really didn't show us much in the Arizona League last year. He had a buck 82 in 41 games, and he struck out 61 times compared to eight walks. So his speed may be great, and he may play good defense, but you got to do something in the batter's box, something a little better um, than what he did last year. So I want to know if those base. young can he? Yeah, that, I mean, that he could steal every base but that, apparently. So you give me these two young outfielders, and if they have productive seasons, then um, then I suppose, you know, then we could start talking about them in that top 15 or 10 conversation. Um, two more storylines that I'm looking forward to. Number one, if Juan Hillman can put it together. It, it, you know, he had a really down season last year at Lake County, 7-10 and 10 with a 608 ERA. Um, he hasn't had a winning season since the professional career started. And this is a second-round pick the Indians used on him a couple of years ago. So for a guy that had a lot of promise, it seemed like, coming out uh, coming out of Florida, it, it seems like he should be further ahead than where he is right now. Um, you know, his strikeout numbers were up last season, so that's pretty positive. But I haven't seen much of else. He, he gives up quite a few walks still. Um, he gives up way too many home runs for my liking. So so maybe some command issues and leaving some breaking balls out over the plate. I need to see if Juan Hillman can pull it together. And um, lastly, I'm looking at Connor Capel, who had a really strong season last year, I feel, in, in Lake County um, after essentially skipping the short season lo- level in Mahoney Valley, going right from the Arizona League and Rookie League to full, uh, to full season Lake County. You know, going from 35 games to 119 games, and he still put up pretty consistent numbers. Uh, he had 246 last season with 22 doubles and 22 home runs, so he showed some power already. Um, so expectingly so, if he goes to Lynchburg, you know, I'm looking at kind of a level like Andrew Kalika, who had a very strong season the season prior and then sort of started to tail off a bit and wasn't as big of a factor to his team. So I, I think that Connor Capel, if he can keep that power up, then he definitely has a spot. Still very young at 20 years old, a former fifth-round pick. So um, he has the ability to elevate the ball and to drive to gaps. And I think if he can show some of that power, and he doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't 
swing and miss too, too much. Uh, the strikeouts, obviously, he's 20 years old, are going to be a little high for now, but he's a guy that makes solid contacts. So if Cable could, could put together another solid season in Lynchburg, you know, I mentioned Mitch Longo earlier as the guy we need to start paying closer attention to. I think Cable could be that guy as well. I want to stick to Capel for a second here because I, I've had many Twitter, Twitter discussions this offseason with some of our peers, and uh, I want to ask you, do you think that uh, Connor Capel might be, I, I don't know if underrated is the right word, but do you think that he might be the, the most under, undervalued uh, multi-tool prospect in baseball? I like to think of him as kind of a, a poor man's Bradley Zimmer almost, a guy who can do so many things. I mean, he has power, he has speed, he can hit for average when he when he wants to, um, and he can play some solid defense. Uh, so do you think that Capel is, is uh, pretty underrated right now, and do you think that he, he's somebody who could we could find uh, moving up the prospect tree uh, pretty quickly here? I would say underappreciated would be the word. Um, what he does defensively is solid, too. Um, and he runs pretty well for, for a guy that's a little a little bit bigger. You know, 6'1", 185. He's got some athleticism to him. And he's got pedigree. His father was a major league player, Mike Capel. Uh, he was a pitcher. So I think Capel has the ability to work his way up in a rather fast manner if the organization wants to go that route. You know, and he had plenty of opportunities in Lake County last season. It, it was him, Gabriel Mejia, and, and Todd Isaacs out in that outfield, uh, basically. So g- give him some opportunity, and if he could go to the Carolina League, get familiar with some of that pitching because we know it's a smaller league, and that's kind of what happens in the Carolina League. You see one guy, and then all of a sudden you see him the next week or within the next two weeks. So you get that familiarity with some of these players within the league. You know, if he could be smart about this season, um, I feel like he could work that way up. But, yeah, I really do think he's an underappreciated outfielder, probably because he's so young and last season was really his first season of affiliated ball. Um, so maybe it's just a lack of knowledge about him and what he can do. But if you look at if you look online for videos and highlights of him, He's either hitting a home run, a triple, or a double. I mean, it is it is gap power that he presents. It is legitimate power that he presents. Um, and he hit for a respectable average last year, 246. So it, maybe if he can bump that up uh, about 10, 15 points, then maybe they will start talking about him as a top 10 or 15 guy. Justin, you probably have seen him more than either of us. Uh, what do you think about Capel and him possibly being underappreciated or underrated? There's no doubt he is. I don't think – I think we do him justice. I won't get away where he is on our rankings. Um, I would argue he could – you could argue he could even be higher. The problem is the guys ahead of him have pretty huge upsides um, as well. I think he has a lot of upside too. But I think a- across prospect lists, yeah, he is definitely overlooked. Um, I don't know for sure if, if he can stay in center field. I think he can. I don't think he's a, a bad defender in center field. But the good news is he has the arm for right field. I've seen, I saw his arm a lot of times last year, and he that guy can throw from right to right to third, right to home, you know, pretty quickly, and uh, has a really good release, good footwork out there. The power came along the second half of the year. He figured something out, and you know, he definitely was young for the league. But sure, he's definitely undervalued because I think the the poor man's Bradley Zimmer is, is a really good comparison. But the funny thing was. 
out of the draft, everybody thought that he was going to, you know, have a, a professional approach and draw some walks. And I think that was his biggest issue last year. Was the he was maybe considered kind of a tweener as far as if he could hit for enough power. And the power came last year. Uh, he just had an issue with plate discipline, but he kind of figured that out late in the year. So um, I would not be surprised. You know, the Indians are, are generally telling conservative with their younger prospects. They don't really move him quickly, but it wouldn't stop me at all if he plays well enough in Lynchburg that he, he finds his way to Akron because I don't think Akron's going to have a lot of outfielders that are going to have priority in playing time, especially who's in, you're talking about like Jordan Smith and Dorses Paulino and some other guys who are going to be there this year. I don't think that he's going to have to fight in for playing time. I think if he plays well enough in Lynchburg, he can be in Akron. I think he is good enough to do that. Oh, good grief. If Jordan Smith is back in Akron again <laughs> this year, gee, oh, my gosh. Talk it, about a I, lifer. I, I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I My first internship year, my first year covering Akron Rubber Ducks baseball was my internship year in 2014, and it was the first year that Jordan Smith uh, played ball in Akron, and literally he has been there every year since I started covering the Rubber Ducks, and that's been my team that I've covered since it's closest to where I live. And it just seems so odd that every year I come back and we actually we got to know each other a little bit. Ever see each other in the clubhouse? I was like, oh, hey, you're still here. We both we both say that to each other. Like, I can't believe that uh, either of us is still uh, at the same at the same place for the last. Uh, now going on four years, so that would be hilarious if that if it happens again. Not not to Jordan, I'm sure, because I'm sure he wants to move up and get as close to the big leagues as he can. But still, it'll be kind of funny. But uh, uh, my top most anticipated storylines for 2018. I mean, you guys covered pretty much a lot of them. Uh, I'll just kind of recap some of them. George Valera's pro ball debut. I'm very excited for because I remember because uh, I. Didn't know much of anything about him until I read uh, Baseball America and uh, watched a video by uh, Ben Badler, who was talking about uh, how George Valera might have the sweetest swing of all the international prospects uh, from this current crop of signings. And I want to see that for myself and see how he's able to translate that to pro ball. And, uh, you know, I, and same goes for somebody like Aaron Bracco and uh and the Marcos Gonzalez, guys who are newer to the system, haven't had a chance to play pro ball yet, and uh, we'll see how their skills translate as well. Uh, Francisco Mejia in Columbus, now that he's got a taste of the big leagues. I also want to see if they continue this uh, experiment with him at third base. I know things didn't quite go as well for him in Arizona Fall League, mixed results at best, but I want to see if they continue to uh, see out this experiment in uh, spring training and then... You know, uh, into the regular season, so uh, I'm interested to see that. <clears throat> um, Nolan Jones and Will Benson, their second half surges. I want to see how that, uh, if they can pick up where they left off uh, over a full season, uh, especially Will Benson, because I, <clears throat> I was just uh, transcribing an interview last week with uh, Scrappers hitting coach uh, Pete Lorison, who, by the way, is an incredibly knowledgeable guy and very new school. You know, a lot of a lot of talk mm-hmm. about exit velocity and launch angle. He's 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 buying into the new way of uh, of doing things, and uh, glad to see him uh, bring that expertise, that new way of thinking into the organization, and 
Just Excellent baseball mind. Yeah. Excellent baseball mind. He he is so in touch with the game. I remember talking to him a couple months ago, right when the scrapper season wrapped up, and he just gets it. Like in terms of teaching and instructing players, he just understands how the game's changing and evolving. I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Pete is amazing. He is so smart. Yeah. So he, I transcribed the interview that uh, Tony did with him. Uh, back right around the end of the season, and he was talking about Jones and Benson, and, man, he was so impressed. There was n- there, there was nothing bad, really, he could say about Nolan Jones and how hard he works and the talents he brings to the table, how good his eye is at the plate and how he does, just doesn't swing at bad pitches. Matter of fact, probably the worst thing he said about Nolan Jones was the fact that uh, because he doesn't swing at uh, pitches out of the strike zone, sometimes he doesn't make that sometimes he swings too much at pitches in the strike zone and doesn't make a good enough contact with some pitches uh, where he should uh, uh, be able to square up the ball more. So that's the worst thing you can say about the guy, i got to tell you. Uh, but Will Benson, obviously a work in progress, but uh, Lordson did say that uh, he made some great strides, some strides that he didn't even expect to see him make this year, So, or last year rather. So we'll see if that uh, continues into this year. And it sounds to me like he's really making some good strides. And, yeah, he's still raw, but he's not as raw as he was when he came out of the draft. And he's starting to uh, put, put together a game plan for his development. So happen to hear that. Um, next, uh, Mitch Longo and Ga- Gavin Collins for me. I want to see what they do over a full season. If they can stay healthy, play 100-plus games, see what kind of production they put together. Because we obviously know what they can do over, say, 60 to 80 games uh, when or 90 games when they are when they have their seasons cut short by injury. But when they're on the field, they've obviously proven that they can be pretty productive. I just want to see if they can do it over 100, 120, 140 games. Uh, over the course of a minor league season, if they can sustain that kind of production, Mitch Longo especially, is he going to be able to hit 349 over the course of 120, 130 games? Now, my I would say no, but you know this guy, ever since he came to the organization, all he's done is hit. So until he proves me otherwise, I'm just going to say he's going to keep hitting. And then uh, lastly, for me, we talked about bullpen depth. There is a crop of guys from coming up. Uh, from the draft last year, and some, and one of the guys from uh, uh, the Dominican Summer League now making his way into the uh, affiliated ball ranks. Uh, the guys from the Scrappers bullpen last year: e- Eli Morgan, Jonathan Tini, Giancarlo Mejia, Giancarlo Mejia, and Kyle Nelson. These are all guys who posted incredible strikeout rates last year. All put up dominant numbers, solid ERAs. They didn't give up a lot of hits or walks. And they were just striking out guys left and right. I want to see how these guys, especially the college guys like Eli Morgan, uh, I want to see what they're what they can do when they move up to Lake County and face some more advanced competition, and what they can do over the course of a full season. Because I want to see what these guys are really made of. I want to see if the if it's because some of these guys are college guys, or uh, because they have more experience than some of the younger guys in that you might see in the New York Penn League, if that, that was the case, or if they really do have the kind of stuff to be dominant relief pitching prospects down the line. And see if this is a new crop of uh, relief pitching prospects to hopefully uh, to hopefully replenish some of those that depth that was lost uh, 
at the big league level and also at the prospect level over the last couple of years. So uh, uh, those are those are the uh, top storylines uh, I'm uh, looking forward to. Uh, uh, Corey, since you're our scrappers guy, what are your thoughts on the uh, scrappers bullpen guys and what they could do possibly moving forward? Uh, I think I know you're a big Teeny guy. I know you are huge on Jonathan Teeny. Um, Eli Morgan's very intriguing because he's one of those guys. I mentioned the bullpen earlier and how it wasn't really, you know, you don't have any guys that are big roles. You know, we talk about a Cody Allen type guy. I, I think Eli Morgan has that potential if he can, uh, if he can work on his command a bit. Uh, he had some nice strikeout numbers last season, which is encouraging for, uh, you know, first season of pro ball. But like you said, is that flash in the pan type stuff? John Carlos Mejia did not give up a single run last season, so that's very good. At 22 and two-thirds innings, that's very good from him. Uh, Zach Plezak is also another guy who worked his way to start a little bit, but, um, you know, following the suit of the elephant in the room, which is his uncle, you never know what could happen. Um, Kyle Nelson looked very good at 248 ERA last season. There's a good – not only is it a good crop, but there's variety in there well as well. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna have these four or five guys all blow the ball by you. You have pitchers that can mix breaking stuff with fastballs and, and some good location. Um, so yeah, I, I think this crop from Mahoning Valley, if there is a bullpen crop between levels that you could pick that says, yeah, this one is the most solid. I think this would be the one throughout the system. Um, e- even Zach Draper, who came in late last season, appeared in six games. Uh, he only gave up three earned runs in 12 and two-thirds innings. That's not too bad at all. Um, so there's options is what you have now, and these guys are going to get their chance in Lake County. You know, if we're doing team previews today, I'd say Lake County is going to have a pretty decent season um, with with, with uh, Nolan Jones, Will Benson, and then some of this pitching that we're talking about, even with starters like Gregory Velasquez and Francisco Perez uh, and, and Felix Tati, who won seven games in 14 uh, in 14 appearances last season, four of those were starts. So I think this crop moving up from Mahoning Valley, which was a playoff team last season, up to Lake County as a whole is going to be very good as well. Justin, I'll throw it over to you since we kind of discussed the uh, bullpen depth and how it was thinning out. What do you think of this crop from uh, Mahoning Valley and from mostly from the draft last year? Uh, what do you think of them coming in and putting up the numbers they did last year, and do you think that they can sustain this type of uh, dominance? Yeah, I think they're going to be a big improvement over last year's group. I had a lot of high hopes for last year's team with uh, you know Brady Aiken, Aaron Saval, and, and Shane Bieber and Juan Hillman. We thought that pitching rotation was going to be – such a dominant force in the Midwest League, and then, you know, Bieber and Saval graduated, and Aiken and Hillman couldn't put it together last year, so they're probably going to be back. But adding adding the guys from Morning Valley is going to be really interesting. I'm I'm excited to see what Zach Plesak does. I hope he's you know another year removed from Tommy John and healthy. Uh, all those other guys, like you said, I'm, I'm curious to see Eli Morgan, uh, obviously uh, Jones and Benson. I, I'm curious to see if John John Carlos Mejia. Um, ends up in, in Lake County. I know he's pretty young. It wouldn't stun me if they keep him in Arizona and maybe send him back to Pony Valley next year to start the year, but I really like the group coming in. They have to be improving over last year. I don't know about hitting. Um, I mean, outside of Capel and, and some other guys, uh, Lake County really didn't have a whole lot of hitting either, so the group coming in has to be a much a big improvement over last year's group. The captains have not had 
a really exciting season. Gosh, I can't remember the last time they made the playoffs. I think it was. It's 20, been a while, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's 2013. I know they 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 made the playoffs during Francisco Lindor's year there. I think they made it once. The year that they had Bradley Zimmer, they made it. I think that's been it. So it's been a while since they've had a really exciting competitive team. And I think this might be a year, even though the guys coming from uh, you know Mahoning Valley are from last year's draft. A lot of the guys from the draft last year are college guys, they're not high school kids. So you've got your high-end talent and Benson and Jones to tout that are from high school, but a lot of the other guys are a little more advanced. So I think this is going to be one of the more competitive teams that they've had in recent memory. I, mean, I, I hope it is, because I don't know if I can sit there in a brutal summer like that, even though I, I love minor league baseball. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, next time we get together, we'll probably be talking about team previews, and uh, that'll probably be towards the end of spring training uh, once the uh, minor league rosters all get announced and we find out who goes where. But, I can't uh, wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be oh, fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, it's been a lot of fun tonight, I'll tell you, getting back together, talking prospects. I love talking prospects uh, just as much as I love talking baseball in general. Uh, it's just so much fun talking minor league baseball because it's something – it's something that's fun to talk about, but it's something that I know that people enjoy listening to people talk about who at least know something, a little bit of something about uh, prospects. Because that's that that's just something that it, with all of the uh, wall-to-wall uh, media coverage that sports get nowadays, minor league baseball is still kind of untapped ground as far as uh, media coverage is concerned. So it's very nice to be able to uh, provide this kind of uh, insight and expertise to our listeners, and it's just fun for us to talk about as well because uh, we know there's not a lot of people out there who are talking about it or or who are at least talking about it who uh, know more than what you know they they hear about from the uh, the box scores uh, every night during the summer. So uh, it's been been fun getting together and talking to you guys, and uh, get ready for the uh, top 50 prospect rankings again. Once again, starting next Monday, counting down from number 50. We can't wait to get that started. Um, but gentlemen, and until we uh, reconvene, until uh, spring training, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. For sure, and that top 50 list is going to be real spicy. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Obviously, we get the nice early access to because we put it together, but um, that's going to be a nice list for people to react off of because there's players in spots where you think they should or should not be. Um, so those listening should definitely look out for the list. Definitely look for our, us on Twitter as well because we're going to be floating discussions around on prospects as news comes in, especially once the rosters drop. That's like, you know, that's like the Christmas day right there for us. It's when everything starts. It's it's the Kickstarter. Um, it's teeing off on the first hole. It's you know, it's it's that kind of excitement. Um, I can't wait for those rosters to drop, and it's cool to speculate as well. You know, we we get to play GM, if you will. Uh, when we come in here and do the show and even start to float some names around and talk about teams. And, you know, just now we're talking about who could be in Lake County this season. That's kind of cool to be able to put a GM hat on and facilitate that kind of discussion. And um, the thing about what we do here is that we have people in every level of the system inside that place, inside that clubhouse, getting access to players and coaches. And that's, that's what you guys deserve that are listening. You deserve to hear about what's going on with the future of the Major League Baseball team that, you know, you're a fan of. 
So I'm I'm very honored that we get to bring that content, and I'm just glad to be back for another season. Like I said, I was looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm glad we're finally back to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Justin, any final thoughts from you? No, I think Corey summed up pretty well. It's exciting. I'm I'm still going to speculate more on who's going to come to Lake County. Yeah, at some point, I want to write a piece on predicting who we might see at Lake County, but uh, just because that's where I usually am most of the time. But, yeah, I, I, I could be more excited. I know uh, prospects usually report to camp a little bit later, but, you know, I was excited to see guys that are that are going to spring training for the minor league levels, like Bobby Bradley and all that. I'm I'm pumped. I'm actually kind of bummed Tristan McKenzie didn't get an invite, but, I mean, you never know. We might see him in a game anyway. They might call him up to throw a few innings, and that's always the fun thing is when you see these guys start to graduate to the upper levels that you saw a couple of years ago. That's why I'm – I'm really pumped to see McKenzie back in Akron because, you know, we, when these guys go to Lynchburg from Lake County, you don't get to see them for basically a whole year. So you're just kind of, you know, relying on the uh, the eyes and ears that are there and then kind of scouting the stat line, which bites. Like, you know, Corey brought up Mitch Longo a hundred times tonight, which I love because I love Mitch Longo. I mean, he's a Mayfield kid, and I'm, I'm excited he's moving on and, and getting, you know, a chance to move up. But I'm also bummed we won't get to see him play this year because he might be a really special player that might, get flown under the radar for a lot of teams because like like you said jake all he does is hit so it's going to be it's going to be an exciting year i think uh for guys to hit their stride and develop and, and for other guys to really prove that they belong in the uh, top prospect discussion all right yep and you'll find out uh all those top prospects once again in our uh top 50 prospect ranking so uh get ready for uh debate discussion uh be sure to follow us on twitter give us your thoughts on the list as it gets unveiled. I'm at Jake D. Baseball. Corey's at C.D. Christen. Justin's at J.L. underscore Baseball. And uh, we're always open for uh, some good baseball talk, prospect discussion anytime. Uh, just uh, shoot us a tweet, and we'll be sure to get back to you and uh, open up the uh, open up the discussion. Uh, besides uh, Twitter uh, handles, anything else you guys want to plug, uh, Corey? Um, I can plug a couple things. Number one, I posted uh, well you posted on my behalf a um a little reaction towards the chief wahoo logo changing and i'm glad we didn't go through this whole podcast until now talking about it but if you want some reaction from from me talking about chief wahoo and what it means and all the controversy that's going on surrounding it there's that uh there's bradley zimmer also uh i wrote a piece detailing what you know he could do and changes to his plate discipline and to uh, being selective and, and how he could turn his uh, downturn in 2017 that he had before he got hurt, how he could turn that around into a positive 2018. Um, also, if, if there's any college basketball fans out there on a whim, I'm covering Syracuse women's hoops. So definitely if you want to follow me on Twitter for some of that stuff, I'm covering them for uh, Troy Nunes is an absolute magician on SB Nation. So definitely check out some of the work on there as well. Syracuse is a very good women's basketball program and, um, you know, they're getting some good exposure this year. So uh, those those are my plugs right now. All right. Justin, anything for you? Uh, not at the moment. I mean, we're going to be pretty much uh, elbow deep in uh, the top 50 prospects thing. So that's where my attention is going to be. I definitely am. Uh, i got some other things in the works, but I think, uh, you know, you and I are both going to be deep into that right now. So that's going to take up most of our time. Yep, that is uh... – be getting those capsules together this week, and uh, again, those will start posting on Monday, so get ready. Uh, once again, guys, it's been a pleasure. Uh, getting-
getting back with you and talking prospects, and uh, so excited. I can't believe this is the third season of this Farm Report podcast, and I think we're really starting to build it into a, a nice established uh, established show, not only on for uh, uh, our site, but I think on the uh, local, ba- hopefully on the local baseball podcast scene. I hope you guys are spreading the word and uh, and getting the word out. Uh, because we want to, uh, we want to be able to get as many people uh, listening as possible, and bring as much of that uh, uh, prospect insight as we can to you. Because, like you, like we said, we do this for ourselves, uh, admittedly, because we have fun doing it. But most importantly, we do this for you guys, so you guys know what's going on and what's coming down the pike for the future of the Indians. So. Uh, Continue to spread the word and uh, let people know about the show. And uh, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, follow us on Twitter. And uh, follow the uh, Podcast Network Twitter account, Smoke Signals IBI. That's where we post all the links to the shows and as well as poll questions and everything else. So uh, check that out there as well. And uh, I guess that's uh, pretty much going to do it for us tonight. So... Until next time, we'll re- reconvene again uh, during spring training to talk more prospects and uh, uh, team previews. Uh, for Justin Lada and Corey Christen, I'm Jake Dungan for the Farm Report Podcast. And we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at smokesignalsibi where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.